Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We have uh, news, some sad news, news that we didn't want on um, on this morning, which is that Rafa Nadal has pulled out of Wimbledon and the Olympics. He announced on his social media platforms, quote, Hi all, I've decided to not participate in this year's championships at Wimbledon and the Olympic Games in Tokyo. It's never an easy decision to take, but after listening to my body and discussing it with my team, I understand that it is the right decision. The goal is to prolong my career and continue to do what makes me happy. That is to compete at the highest level and keep fighting for those professional and personal goals at the maximum level of competition. The fact that there has only been two weeks between RG and Wimbledon didn't make it easier on my body to recuperate after the always demanding clay court season. Uh, These have been two months of great effort, and this decision I take is focused looking at the mid and long term, um, and then I I will end it there. So uh, let's just go uh, reactions, um, Amy, to uh, Nadal deciding that he's listening to his body. Uh, and not going to play Wimbledon or the Olympics. As a fan, I am disappointed. But the good news is this probably means that for sure he'll play the U.S. Open, barring any you know strange situation, an injury in practice or something like that. That's probably what he's pointing toward. Um, if you're a Djokovic fan, this is really good news because – you know, forget the surface for a minute and who's good on what surface. He is a champion at Wimbledon. He, Nadal has won Wimbledon um, and uh, it clears the way for Djokovic and he will be even more of a favorite now. Yeah, that's summed up pretty well. I mean, again, it's, it's fun to watch Nadal play anywhere. I mean, he's played some great matches at Wimbledon, won it twice, been to the finals three other times. He and Novak played one of the greatest matches in their whole rivalry there in uh, 2018 that was just fantastic is um but with the roof and all this other kind of stuff so um yeah it's unfortunate but we get it i mean this is the aging and even the pandemic and travel and all these kind of concerns so rafa just being pragmatic and that's that's all right yeah i mean again it is good that the heart is in the right place and it kind of tells you that you know, Nadal is still thinking about, well, right now, 2022, he's thinking about 2023. You know, this is not a short-term kind of uh, thought process, which is a good sign for everyone. And, I, you know, but at the same time, and I hate to make everything about comparison, 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 but doesn't Novak Djokovic seem miles away from having to do stuff like this? Uh, it just it just seems like where his body is at, and they're a year apart. And of course, we know that Nadal came onto the tour um, at the at the highest level a little bit earlier than Djokovic, who was a later bloomer. Um, and you know, we know about Rafa's play style and how difficult that was, and all the injuries he's had. But w- with all of that being said, it just feels like Novak, who's only a year younger than Nadal, is a lot younger when it comes to mileage, and this kind of uh, illustrates that once again. 
cut back to the fourth set of their great semi in, in Paris just last week. And you could see how fresh Novak was still in that fourth set and how worn out Nadal was. I mean, it's, it's just a testimony to both uh, Novak's fitness, but also, you know, Nadal, just an unbelievable competitor, throws himself heart and soul into the clay court season, played uh, 20 matches over the course of the spring. And uh, yeah, but this, this also gets to the, the technique, to the efficiency of the whole way Novak plays. And we, everybody knows how much, how draining Nadal's playing style is on him. On, on the positive note for Nadal fans, if you are a Nadal fan, this is a snapshot in time of where the three of these guys are right now. Um, there have been years where Djokovic was not right with his body. I mean, he had to have the elbow surgery and, um, you know, Nadal has had um, lulls before. Um, I think the good news is as they have gotten older and with experience, they've become much better at managing their schedules and that the calendar in tennis is the most brutal of any sport and they are the masters at managing their bodies through that challenging calendar. Yeah, and you see, look, look how Roger for several years managed the European clay court season, even this year, and the several years where he didn't even play Roland Garros. So yeah, they're just, it's gonna be, I'll be interested to see then how, how Novak does it because he hasn't done, other than the injuries, he hasn't done any kind of like a, preemptive, I'm not going to play this swing. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. He's pretty much maintained the the attendance at the majors, except when he got hurt during them. And I guess, um, you know, Amy's so right. It is a brutal, long, long calendar and it's an individual sport. So it's not like you can be in the late phase of your career, be in the game for only a few minutes and take a breath. So again, I will miss Scott. I've seen some, uh, Remember a great match, Nadal and Del Potro at Wimbledon, Nadal and Novak, of course, the great final with Roger. And it's always fun. I think it's always interesting to watch a player have to solve problems on their lesser favorite surface. I mean, good. He's been to the finals five times, but still, grass was not his natural language the way it was for Federer, just like seeing Federer on clay. So, mm-hmm. unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. I think we're starting to see this more in all sports. And uh, just to, to zoom out a little bit, we have NBA players uh, skipping regular season games. We have baseball players, which I know nobody cares about outside of the United States, but uh, pitchers are not throwing as many pitches. Um, I wonder if it's happening in cricket. I wouldn't know the, that, uh, um, however. But, but it's just we've reached a new era of valuing rest and off time and recovery time, I think, to like just a, a much greater extent. And I just think that, you know, if you're an Nadal fan and, you know, you're down about this decision, or I'm sure if you're Nadal and you're down about, about having to make this decision, the, the caveat is you don't get to play until you're 35 into year 36. You don't get to play that long unless you make these kinds of decisions. Is that fair? I would agree. But maybe, and so maybe there's all this knowledge of sports science and how we manage time. And so maybe a player in his 20s starts to think about his schedule that way too. So he doesn't just go full tilt. And so maybe when a player, maybe maybe Seb Korda, when he becomes 24 years old, already starts to think about how to manage his calendar and his schedule 
And maybe that even has implications for which majors some of these guys play, even if they're automatically entered in them and they risk something else. I mean, there's so much physical management and so much more science than it was even 20 years ago. I mean, that's one of the, I think one of the biggest legacies of this three will be kind of the, the scientific management of their game and equipment and training and all this kind of stuff. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's interesting, though, for the Olympics, um, if you're a Djokovic fan and you want to see him go for the Golden Slam, Rafa is not going to be at the Olympics either. So that makes it that much easier for Djokovic to contend for this amazing prize, which he's still in the race for. That's a great point. But also, you know, like, I think I think the Olympics for Novak's look ahead for that. That's the... Um... That's the sizzling, hot, impassioned opponent. In other words, if I was, if I was looking ahead at Novak's draw at the Olympics, I'd be more worried about a, a flaming hot Berrettini than the normal business. I mean, Nadal's won the Olympics, so if they met up in a late stage, that would be a tremendous final. But the Olympics has so much about that emotional aspect, that passionate aspect, and it's kind of a one-off. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, N- Novak, I, I can't see him not wanting to go to the Olympics, of course. So he'll no way. do that. Yeah. Right. Right. High yeah, priority for him. High in, priority. In, we've now, discussed that. That's right. Granted, in the um, in the legacy of the sport, I think the Olympics is a great event if you win it. I'm never going to look back at Federer and say, oh, yeah, Roger, he never won singles at the Olympics. It's a no-lose. Yeah, it's like an elective course in the major. So no one... I, I, yeah. I do always think of Steffi Groff, though, um, the fact that she did win that Golden Slam. Absolutely. Um, it, it's like a, a pretty cherry or a pretty flower to put on top of the cake. Perfect so, point. And it's something that you never forget in conversation. Well, it adds, and yeah, like you said, you talked about like a, yeah, I was thinking like an exclamation point, like something, a, a special kind of punctuation. It showed how mm-hmm. unbelievably dominant. She lost two matches that year. And uh, that's a neat little convergence of things. And if Novak could make that happen, that would be pretty amazing too. So, well, the people, the people running the IOC think Andy Murray is just the clear-cut goat, and you know they don't watch; they only watch tennis every four years. No one's told them about the other three guys who have, you know, the other people. But we'll we'll just we'll just let them be. Yeah. We'll just let him be Murray with the, with the two singles gold. And he's Michael uh, Phelps that Murray is like the Michael Phelps of tennis because he keeps he wins the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little bit more surprised that if, if we're comparing uh, the Olympics and Wimbledon, I'm more surprised that Nadal pulled out of the Olympics. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting 
that different players have different level of priorities for, for that event. Uh, but for, for Rafa, um, the, the Olymp- uh, Wimbledon's just this very quick turnaround. And he mentioned it in his statement that it's two weeks and he doesn't feel like he's ready, but the, the Olympics are, are further out and he loves representing his country and dominates when he brandishes the, the Spanish flag and takes the court. Uh, the Davis Cup record, one loss in his career in Davis Cup, and I think over 30 wins. He, he really plays really well. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised at, at the Olympics thing. Uh, but I also think it, you're right, Amy, it does kind of set up for, for the U.S. Open. And it looks like uh, if, if Novak wins Wimbledon, they'll all go into it with 20 slams. And it might be a really, really hotly contested event. I think, though, also, I think the Olympics and Rafa making a decision was just, look, just I want the whole time off. I don't want to just wait to Wimbledon and then decide. I just, uh, right. August 8th, I think, is the next tournament is in is Canada. So he wants to just... It, that's that's barely six seven weeks so just let me just decompress completely and not have to even think about a tricky trip to Tokyo we still don't know what's happening with the Olympics whether it's things with quarantines and all the I, I, the pandemic stuff so I think you know, let me just I've done pretty good in the Olympics still but then again that's that creates some significant wear and tear implications for the U.S. Open yeah, it's going to be rough from what I understand on the athletes. Um, the, the quarantine situation, um, the rollout of the vaccine in Japan has not been what it is in the United States and other parts of Europe. Um, so it's actually not going to be comfortable or easy for Novak. If anybody's up to the task, he is, but uh, it, it's going to be a real pain. So you can understand why. Rafa made the decision that he did. But again, um, I think it's actually good news for the U.S. Open, and, and it could be a real showdown there. Yeah, hey, fantastic points there because we've seen Nadal kind of have his qualms about going into these highly quarantined and uncertain environments like last year's U.S. Open, which, which he decided not to play and, and prepare for the clay season. Um, so uh, an excellent point there. Tokyo, uh, it's an event that Djokovic played last year. Uh, pretty quick, hard court, definitely um, in Novak's favor when it comes to conditions. But uh, we will discuss the Olympics more, I'm sure, at a, at a later date. Let's get to Roger Federer, who, uh, of course, we, we thought we'd leave the show with this, but then Nadal happened. Uh, but Federer lost to uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime in three sets. Um, you know, another, uh, another roadblock for Roger. Uh, what's the, what's the temperature on this? What, where's the, where's the panic meter at Joel? I, I, I don't think I, I never think of panic. I don't think good, bad. I just think this is, these are things that happen. This is the game. I mean, this is why, this is why I like writing about, um, sports rather than politics. This is performance. I mean, it was a pretty, uh, yeah, it wasn't the greatest tennis from Roger. He'd be the first to admit that. And it was, and, and the thing brass is so interesting. You got to really have it on grass i've always thought grass is the one you you don't necessarily need a lot of match play but it usually assumes that you've had match play throughout the course of the year that usually by the time you start playing on grass in june you've played players played 20 30 however many matches but here's fetter he's so under match played and so some of those instincts that movements i mean in grass is so much about fast kind of points even contemporary grass which is slower than it used to be 
And so Roger just looked a little out of sorts. What did, what did you take away from that, Amy? Uh, well, unlike you, I kind of did hit the panic button. <laughs> After the match yesterday, I was like, what? Is this the end? Um, the reason that I was so um, upset, I guess, as a fan and a fan of all three, is that he was not doing well on his serve. And to see that on grass, I mean, Roger serves really well. He's one of the greatest servers ever and, and particularly finding his locations. But on grass, that's even amplified. And um, in the match, uh, Felix had, uh, he was three of 15 on break points. So look at all those opportunities that he had to break. Um, and Roger only had five aces to Felix's 13. Um, he just wasn't getting enough free points on serve. He wasn't hitting his spots. And uh, the look on his face was, I mean, being completely subjective here, if I could for a second, he looked for a minute like he was going to cry in the third set. And after the match, he said, quote, I really started to get negative and that's not how I am. And yeah, pretty much that was exactly what I saw. But then after I slept on it, I calmed down a little bit and I read, you know, a few reports about the match and I, I read his comments and he, you know, he said, this is really hard coming back from two knee surgeries. I'm constantly questioning it. I'm wondering if I feel a twinge of pain and anybody who's come back from injury understands that. And that's true. And the good news I think is if he still cares about twinges of pain, that means he's trying to extend this. Um, if he didn't care, he would just say, give me a cortisone shot and I'll go out there and who cares if I blow up the knee. But he, he really does seem to be working hard and to be invested in extending his career, at least for the time being. Well, I, I think you bring up a couple interesting points. One of them is the connection between injury and mental. And we talked about mental rust, but, uh, you know, just the the process of, of rehabbing and coming back and how much work that takes, how arduous it is, how long that is. And, you know, to, to take the court and then to not be playing as well as you, you know, you think you should be, you could just imagine just the negative thoughts compiling and compiling, but he seemed to be optimistic that it wasn't going to happen again. It, it's, it's fascinating though. It really was. It seemed like as much as there were physical issues and we can talk about that uh, such as the serve, it was very much the, the, the reason why that didn't look like the regular Roger is because he became so defeated so quickly. Well, the game is so great. You know, this is so much that's neat about tennis, whether it's people like to say, well, it's, it's all in the head. Well, everything is in the head. The brain makes all these decisions and propels these things, whether it's hitting the ball or shot selection. And again, and there's, there's the clay gestalt, which is about the grind and you're going to have to hit two or three or more shots per rally, even and as we talked about, even in the zero to four rally on clay, you have to exert to generate the energy to, to have the ball do good things. Mm -hmm. Now we got the grass thing. And the grass thing is a little more like bumper pull. You know, it's a little bit more like quick mm -hmm. agility and, and flexibility and shot making. And when you see the, the opening, when the light turns green, you better strike right through it. I mean, when you have a break point and that second serve is a little shorter and, uh, a little shorter and a little slower than usual, you better hit it. So there's all this kind of like 
you know, st signals you have to send to yourself. And of course, Federer has been a master of them on grass more than any surface, but even he, I mean, it kind of shows you watching great players in their later stage, sometimes even more reveals their greatness than their glory years, because you see, wow, even they a little off it, but then it was, wow, what a high level they played for so long. And so I think we're all, I think seeing this is better, seeing his humanity makes us all obviously curious about what we're going to see in this best of five set matches at Wimbledon. You know, these little preludes on grass are one thing, but now what occurs over a, over a long one and in grass particularly, okay, Roger, now we got it on clay. We got it. We know you were just feeling your way and longer points and here's Marin Cilic and here, you know, you just kind of work your way through it. Now it's grass. This should be your house. Let's see. Yeah. He, but winning three matches, like that's half the tour. So much of the tour would consider that a really, really, you know, great run at a grand slam. Yeah. And <laughs> like the, the prize money is enormous. Like that's a big, you know, that means that means you can play when you win three matches at a grand slam. That's all I can say. And obviously hey, so that's not the, the bar for Federer. So much the world thinks it'd be great to play one of those things. I mean, it's, right. really fun. it's yes. like, but the thing is uh, sports is graded on a curve. Yeah. So, so again, that's not the bar for Federer, but for someone who is just feeling things out, um, it, it's kind of interesting because Felix also, when he's firing, when he's making his shots, he was moving forward. Well, he was making all his volleys, which is not always the case. His first serve was landing. He wasn't double faulting. His forehand wasn't missing that version of Felix on, on a quick court. I, I think it's a top 15 player. So, you know, I don't think that that is, the weapon weapons wise, at least it's a top 15 player. Consistency is why Felix can't really break through into the top 15 for the last couple of years. But I don't think it's a, it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, horrific loss um, for Federer, even on a, from a levels perspective. I think the concern is that the common theme is that his serve hasn't really been working well in, in any of these matches. And I think that's uh, something to just circle and continue to watch because Chilich was kind of punishing uh, the, the returns and Basilashvili was all the way back at the beginning of the year. And uh, I just think it, this is something that we now continue to see where his serve isn't really working as well as he needs it to. Well, I he... did a, I did a, sorry, Joel, I did a piece in uh, 2018 on Federer where it, just in that year, um, if he won the first point of his service game, he went on to win the game. Like it was something outrageous, like 97 to 98% of the time. Um, yesterday, that was falling off. He was really having to, that dominance on, if I win the first point, I got this. Or or you've seen the 90-second uh, service games from Federer before on grass. Mm -hmm. um, nothing like that. I mean, he was really battling from, from the get-go on his service games. So uh, not used to seeing that from Federer on grass, but um, you know, like you said, look, man, I, I'm coming back from two knee surgeries and I had a long time where I wasn't playing tennis. So you got leg strength. This is the primary thing for serving well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. right. And again, five miles here, a foot there, and the ability to win some easy points and winning easy points makes it easier to win other points. I mean, all the things that the serve can accomplish, all the things, and, and particularly for a player like Federer on grass. And yeah, so to see him lose to any player, those 6-2 in the decisive set, 
is a little yeah. concerning to see that going on because the serve, the, the serve not doing things for him, not, not just as a point winner in its own. Yeah, and that, and that stat about, yeah, winning the first point. And so how many times do you see that Federer first point? Why do serve, uh, whether the serve itself does something or it opens it up for an easy forehand, 15 love, things start going, but oh, now the return comes back. Even if he wins the point, he's got to labor hard. All the so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think uh, I can't wait to see that Wimbledon draw. Me too. It's going to be interesting for Federer. I, I agree that it's. If I were to guess, none of us know this for a fact. Like, what's wrong with Federer's serve? Why isn't it um, the as effective as we're used to seeing it? But I would guess that it's literally a, a matter of physical strength and just wearing down throughout these matches. And I don't even know if we can assume it's just the legs, right? Cause the serve is just a full body kind of uh, ordeal where you have lots of core involved and oblique and shoulder. Um, and, and obviously the legs are a big part of it. Um, so I would agree that it's physical, Amy. Yeah. Um, there will be people that say that, well, Federer doesn't rely on power as much, even though he's got a very powerful serve. Um, he's a spot server. He's, he can mm -hmm. place it. Well, there has to be a certain baseline level of speed and spin uh, it, because if you just place a 30 mile an hour serve, it's going to get crushed. So um, I would agree that there has to be something physical, but it could just be um, rust. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe over time, um, as he works his way through Wimbledon, maybe he can pick up the, the pace and the physical. Well, and also these other players, not, I mean, it's been a strange, what, 18 months since Federer left the Australian Open 2020, but they've been playing more. And so they've been building their returns and their things and, and that, and that they're getting, and they're getting better. Felix is a better player than he was 18 months ago and he's played more matches so he's used and I think also um this amazing thing of say about her a little bit of the aura it's like oh I'm I'm not playing I'm not playing the resume I'm playing the ball and here's the ball and here's a serve that's not quite and again and their instincts on grass you know the guy like Felix wow I I, I crack a return and suddenly I'm in control of the point I mean I think the whole seesaw of a point on grass is so different than clay or any surface. So how do you then do that? And again, the, the very opportunism and alertness that's made Federer so snap, crackle and pop his whole yeah. career is a little less, in theory, it sounds, oh, the natural surface, but you know what? You better have everybody, everybody in the orchestra better be moving really, really in sync. Yeah, the every the the return is difficult. You're up at the net, and and that's kind of a fast paced reaction based thing. Like watching that match, and I think Wimbledon's a little bit slower than Hala, but like the ball comes fast. Like it's just not losing a lot of speed when it hits the court, and it really does feel very instinctual, and uh, it feels very quick. I'll give you an example though. Of something here's a thought when I think about Federer. I just thought of this example from history. In the spring of 1989, Martina Navratilova was feeling kind of burnt out. And she lost early at the clay tournament in Hilton Head. It's now Charleston. And then she started to work with uh, Billie Jean King. And Billie Jean King started to help her. And they started to point. And she said, start thinking about Wimbledon 1990. Don't think about Wimbledon 89. She ended up getting to the finals in 89 anyway. <laughs> but the point is, in other words, maybe, maybe the Federer notion and was of coming back 
in the spring of 21 and doing some, a, a little clay and doing this, maybe, maybe it's better thinking about Wimbledon 22. I mean, then of a long-term play instead of, I got the instincts, I got the game, I got the, you know, I got the sweet hands, but maybe it's a longer term play than just trying to, to win it in, in 21 or win it. Maybe it's just, he, he won't say he's trying to win it. He's going to say he wants to compete well and let the process go, but still it's tough. Can we address uh, what Felix said after the match that uh, they asked him, Hey, Hey Felix, did you ever think you'd beat Roger? And he said, I didn't think he'd be playing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I didn't think I'd get a chance. I, I think that was a compliment uh, on balance. I mean, Felix just sort of said it, you know, on the fly without really thinking it through um, because you could take it as like, I'm just a kid and he's an old man, but uh, yeah. I, it really is a compliment. And it's, uh, I mean, look, Roger Federer just took a set off you. He very well could have beaten you and he is a lot older than you. So um, it's kind of neat, you know, it's, it, if I were a member of the big three and I played somebody very young and the person said that, you know, I used to idolize you or I watched you when I was five years old or, or whatever, um, it would, you know, it would make me feel old, but at the same <laughs> time, it, it would make me feel um, incredibly warm and accomplished and that's probably how each of these guys feels when they play somebody like that. Let's not forget to give Felix a Tony award for the person in his corner, Tony Nadal, who has a good uh, track record at dissecting <laughs> Roger Federer. And granted, I know the main thing is Tony Nadal, Rafa, Rajon Clay, but more importantly, knowing Tony Nadal, he says, here's how you read Roger's energy. Be aware mm. of this, keep attuned to that. He's going to do this. This will happen. He'll try to look to do this to jumpstart his game. So you better cover that wide deuce court serve. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah. whatever. And so when you have a chance, don't think, about, don't think about, you know, now you're on grass. Don't think about when Roger serves it, I just want to get the ball and play because he's be all over you like a cat. So how do you, mm -hmm. how do you make that happen? How do you serve him? And granted, Felix is a, is a whole different kind of player than Rafa. But what a good coach does is say, okay, how do I match your tools to this other guy? And at the same time, though, Tony Nadal has his own, what, at least a master's degree in Federer studies. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that good. line, Tony, T-O-N-I award. Tony. Yeah. <laughs> the Tony award. It's good to see Felix finally getting uh, some results with Tony on his team because it took a bit. And I know at the beginning of a coaching run normally at first the coach barely says anything and just observes so um now maybe we're seeing a little bit more um active but also the surface changed felix uh made a final last week and now he's uh still alive in queens unless something's Gio, Gio, changed one question though do you yeah. think knowing what we've known about tony nadal knowing that he started with felix during the clay season do you think he just kind of yeah i'm just gonna sit and i'm just gonna observe i mean tony nadal you know he's got, he's got for like two weeks you don't think for two weeks he took a step back and just, you know, first watched how he operated and then he kind of stepped in and said more? No, maybe half a step. I just think, I just think <laughs> also, also when, again, remember there's the coach 
the, the, the coaching thing is, is two tiered these days. There's the day to day and that person might be doing that. But when I bring in a senior consultant, which is what Tony Nadal more is, right? He's the senior consultant. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not paying you to shut up. I know I want you to watch me, but I need, I, I need your input. And again, Tony Nadal has a whole, I, I was almost imagining recently kind of like writing a, a fiction novel about 50 bullet points about the wisdom of uncle Tony and, and how he brings yeah. it. And some of the things, I think he would kind of part, you know, delicately dollop it out to Felix in different bits and different pieces because it fits into this whole matrix of, of Tony with, that we've come to know, which makes him one of the more, he's one of the more, in the big three, if we were doing the movie of the big three, he's one of the, he's one of the key supporting characters, you know, right? Isn't yes. he? Yes. Yep. Yep. He is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. F f fair enough. I, I defer to you on that. You're probably right. Um, it, I can't be convinced that Felix's forehand is not influenced by Roger Federer's forehand. I, I can't be. So I want to know if we're on the same page there. Are you saying that, sorry, it is influenced or it it's is. not? It is. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I, think I, so. I just, I had a little I, bit of deja vu yesterday watching that. I am thinking like it should be reversed. <laughs> but uh, he, Roger was definitely getting a taste of his own medicine in those last two sets. Yeah, why not? I mean, gee, if there was a, there's a four, a contemporary forehand maybe ever to imitate, even though, you know, Nadal's has its own special thing to it. But boy, if you were wanting to show someone here, here's, here's a forehand. I mean, what's, what's wrong with fetters, man? That is just unbelievable. Yeah, and I think Felix is kind of sometimes searches for it on the forehand. I think it's easier. I think it's also easy to engage in mimicry on faster surfaces because you can attain more purchase. In other words, the imitation is going to work better because the surface is going to reward your effort to mimic as opposed to if it's on a slower surface, you mean I'm going to mimic trying to just hit the ball consistently again and again. I mean, the, the, the offense, the positive feedback on a faster surface is greater. So I agree with you, Gil, about the Felix Roger forehand connection. Yeah, and he, he... Roger, Roger's timing at the net was not great yesterday either. He missed some volleys and some half volleys. You know, the, the same type of thing that you were talking about, Joel, with um, grass being that reactive surface um, where you've got to be able to hit, you know, the half volleys, the touch, the squash shots, this, that, and the other. It just, Roger you know, didn't have that totally yesterday. That is not physical. I don't think that he can, he can get back. But that is also, okay. Since we are student types, clay is the term paper. The clay season, the term paper season. You, you put in your work, you go to the library week in and week out and you eventually issue your paper rolling errors. Grass is a pop quiz. Grass is a series of quick. All right, here we go. It's a pop quiz really quick. What do you got? And you have to have those those, those quick motor reactions. And that's really, <clears throat> that's not even homework as much as it's just experience in match play and then tournament match play. I mean, you talk about, that's why, that's why you see players like uh, Novak playing doubles in a grass court event, <clears throat> just because they want, they need, they will, they want the time on the surface. Yeah, it's it can be more see ball hit ball kind of thing as as opposed to that's that's really good analogy to use the term paper as opposed to when you're on clay and, and when you're learning on clay you're really thinking about technique how much am I going to get under this ball you have all that time um, and you don't have that time on grass. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, so, well, the pop quiz continues. It, it's also a short season, so we can go micro, we can go macro, very much so. Uh, pop quiz, very good. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment if that floats your boat. Uh, like the video for sure. That helps us out a lot. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.